Welcome to the Expert Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. What amazes me and intrigues me so much is how psychiatry now overlaps with neurology in so many ways, and in particular with issues of seizure phenomena. We use a very large number of anti-seizure medications for mood control. Now we have vagal nerve stimulation, originally approved for control of epilepsy, but in 2005 it was approved for depression. Lots of questions. Ivan Chikowicz is a psychiatrist in Palm Beach County in Florida who has done research with vagal nerve stimulation, and he's kind enough to join us to explain this procedure. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. Not everybody knows what the vagus nerve is nor what it does. Perhaps we should start with a brief overview of that and how stimulation of this nerve has now a role in psychiatry. What's the vagus nerve? The easiest way to understand what the vagus nerve is and how it will relate to mental health and depression is the vagus nerve is what kind of sends all the information from your body's organs to the brain. So it's kind of like an information superhighway where the brain is able to collect information on what's going on with every organ, and it mostly goes from the body to the brain. There's a little bit of information going from the brain to the body, but it's primarily information going from the body to the brain. And that's why when we stimulate it, we can have that stimulation go to the brain because the information is traveling, we'll say, like up. The vagus nerve is one of the cranial nerves that we all like talked about when we were in our neurology classes. Initially, you would imagine it has no role in mental health because we always think about it in terms of the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system. But the more we've learned, the more we've been able to find that it has a lot of other roles in our body, particularly regulating bodily functions. And as that information from the body travels up to the brain, when we stimulate that nerve, we're able to send an information to our brain. It'll kind of do a little bit of what we can call reverse TMS or reverse ECT, which is it works from the bottom up as opposed from the top down. That seems amazing because so much of us over the years have dealt with just activities within the brain, ECT, TMS, medications, in terms of modifying brain activities, even alcohol, for heaven's sakes. So when the nerve sends a signal up to the brain, do we have any more specific sense of where it goes? Does it go to the mood disorder areas? Does it go to the same areas that medications go to? Do we have any sense of what it does once these messages are now going up to the brain? In all honesty, we're not 100% sure how any of this works. But basically, our say, primitive understanding of this is the vagus nerve will relay places in the midbrain. And from there, it'll relay into cerebrum. And what's going on is some of these vagal nerve branches will go to different nucleuses that are related to catecholamine productions. We're talking about nucleus raphae, where we're stimulating serotonin, we're stimulating norepinephrine, we're stimulating dopamine. And additionally, and this is the mechanism that we're not still 100% sure, we're apparently also increasing BDNF, which is the underlying mechanism of action of medications like Spravato and a lot of the antidepressants, we believe. And the final thing is VNF seems to have a big anti-inflammatory component to it. And again, we're not 100% sure how this process works, but there seems to be a big anti-inflammatory component to it. And that's why it's being investigated for a lot of medical conditions that are nothing related to depression or not that we see as related to depression, from things like obesity 
diabetes. It's even approved for some types of stroke rehabs where they've seen that patients who have VNS tend to rehab better. This is still like just like at the beginning of what the possibilities are. I find it so fascinating that we seem to be in a new phase of having tools. One of the antidepressants now uses dexamethorphan, and it seems to work very nicely in a different mechanism. Now we VNS. We're using the traditional tools that we had in part because they were discovered first. So this is very exciting in, in, in so many basic treatment modalities. Let me ask you some specific questions. What is the procedure? People hear that they're putting something into your body. Can you give us a, a brief synopsis of what a VNS implantation is all about? A VNS system consists of two parts. A VNS stimulator, which is basically the size of like two quarters stacked on top of each other, and then leads that go from the stimulator to the vagus nerve on the left side of the neck. The procedure consists of the same thing as if they were implanting a pacemaker, implanted on your chest, and then the leads get wrapped around the vagus nerve. This is maybe the most complicated part about what VNS is. It is a procedure that is very different from what we do in all our other psychiatric interventions. We have to actually talk to patients about surgery and about what are the complications of surgery and what are the things that you need to be aware of before you're having surgery and clearing patients medically, which we've never really had to do before. It's normally done by neurosurgeons. Some ENTs are also doing it right now. And the people who are doing it basically are the same surgeons who've been doing VNS procedures for many years. It's completely outpatient procedure. It's pretty straightforward and simple, like you're home the same day. Recovery is not very complicated. It takes about two weeks, maybe, for everything to be 100% back to normal because there will be a little bit of swelling in the area of the neck after the surgery. When you look at patients, you don't even know they had surgery. Pretty impressive. Is VNS a solo treatment for depression or is it more an adjunctive? Does it work alone or does it need other medications? At this point, it is an adjunctive therapy, particularly for patients who have not done well with other modalities and talking about medicine, PMS, ECT, Spravato, or ketamine. We really have very little information to no information about its possible benefits if used alone. And the studies and all the indications are really for what we would call treatment-resistant depression. We're talking patients who are on other treatments and we're using BMS just help keep them better. And again, because we're still at the early stages of the research, we're really treating kind of the sick of patients with BMS right now. One of the things that has always troubled me in working in mental health is that we have to be very careful with proper diagnostic workup. A lot of people have biologic, biochemical bases to their depressions, no question about it. Thank goodness we have the medicines. Some do not. They have personality disorders or situational disorders. How do you work up a patient? What's your diagnostic criteria to make sure that as best as you can, you're treating people who have more of a biologic basis to this than a uh, personality basis to this? I agree that the workup is one of the most important things right now. The good thing for VNS, at least, is we have a lot of studies on VNS for depression. I mean, major depression and bipolar depression. So when we're working with upper VNS, at this point, the bigger issue is not is the depression because of an underlying bipolar disorder or because of underlying major depression. It's all about making sure that they're actually biologically depressed because, like many other treatments, like VNS can't solve marital problems or it can't solve the death of 
of a loved one, but it does a very good job at solving the underlying biological issues. The reality is most of the patients who we see have been depressed for a long time. There will be some, I'm going to say, poor coping that develops as a side effect to that chronic depression, but it's important to separate that from a primarily personality disorder. We don't want to say that this treats any type of personality disorder, but we want to also be aware that patients who have like significant depression and could have some underlying personality issues would benefit. That doesn't mean that if the primary issue is a personality issue, like VNS would be a good fit for those patients, though. I like to say that really the ideal patients are patients who have done well with any type of interventional treatment, but just don't stay well. Because VNS is working every day, it's fired every five minutes. So those patients who had ECT, TMS, and I mean, and did better but can't sustain that improvement, I think those are the ideal patients for VNS. Interesting perspective. It does speak to more of the chronicity. So how quickly after implantation do you start to see benefits? Does it take a long time for it to kick in? Is there an adjustment of the frequency that has to be done? After someone has the implantation, what's next? After implantation, we usually wait about two weeks, just let patients heal post-surgery. Then we start to, a little bit at a time, increase the output current of the VNS system. And this is what the psychiatrist actually does. Whoever it is managing that VNS system is we're controlling the output current and we're going to be measuring that in milliamps. And we're going to start with the smallest possible dose and we are going to little by little titrate up as the patient can tolerate it. Because every time we titrate, we're putting a little more energy. And now remember, that's what the patient is going to feel as if you were increasing the dose of the medicine. You can imagine it the same way. Every time you increase the dose of the medicine, there's a chance that the patient gets a little bit better, but there's also a chance that there are side effects or any other complications. So we have to go a little bit at a time to give the patient a chance to adjust, to make sure that he's tolerating it well, for us to make sure that there's no side effects, effects. And so we can eventually get to the smallest tolerable dose. Most of the research studies are done at around one milliamp. That's kind of like the clinically effective starting dose. But we start patients usually at 0.25, and we just bring them up by 0.25 milliamps at a time. The highest patient who we've treated is at around two milliamps right now. Is this a treatment for life as it stands now? As it stands now, it is a chronic ongoing treatment. This is just like having a pacemaker. One of the complicating notions of using medications is how long to keep a person on the pills. Sometimes we do it for a year, two years, four years, some are on chronically. What also happens often is that the depression remits and then the person's life changes and they're under fewer stresses. Maybe they're doing more exercise, maybe other things. So it's conceivable that eventually, not in everybody, and I say that over and over again, I wish more so, but not in everybody, we can reduce the medications of the antidepressants or they can even do without it. This is a different story. VNS, you're saying, right now is permanent. Interesting. It may be that it's a different mechanism of depression that we're treating. Interesting thought. Yeah, and, and the way I like to look at it is what we're offering patients is a chance to, if they continue to do well, maybe be able to decrease their polypharmacy that they're on. The VNS system, we want to keep working in the background because, again, these are the chronically ill. These are, you know, what we'll call our really sick patients that usually we don't know what else to try with them are the patients that we're treating with VNS right now. As time progresses, it'll be interesting to see if we have more data on patients who've been able to maybe have their dose of the VNS decreased 
from, let's say, 1.5 milliamps, maybe they can go down to 1 milliamp if they continue to do well on a chronic basis. And I see on the internet any number of advertisements for transcutaneous VNF stimulation through the year and the like. And it looks easy, it looks simple, nobody's doing any surgery. Any any data on that yet, or is it just a good idea, but it's really not? So there's a lot of information out there on stimulation of the vagus nerve from just to help you relax, doing vagal nerve massages where you use your hands to kind of massage the area of the vagal nerve. There's machines that are subcutaneous that are approved for vagal nerve stimulation outside of the neck. And then there's some devices that can stimulate the vagus nerve at the level of your ear. Those are mostly used in research settings because depending on where the stimulation is, which part of the ear they're stimulating, could it be vagal nerve or is it just not stimulating the vagus nerve at all and then that's used as a placebo. But this is, I'm going to express it in the same as when we say you can go to the doctor's office to get TMS or you can do one of these at-home TMS machines, which are like glorified temp systems. It's the same idea, but they are not the same. The results with the subcutaneous VNS stimulators, nothing alike what VNS would be, and primarily because of the way that VNS works. So the VNS implant, or the stimulator, is basically firing every five minutes for 30 seconds. We have talked about how does this work. It takes time for that VNS stimulation to really change how the brain is working and to provide relief from depression. In theory, maybe if you were stimulating your neck every five minutes for the next few months, could you see some improvement? That's a good question, but these things are not exactly the same. Couple of mechanical questions again, please. Thus far, what's the age range? Can children use VNS? Can you give it to a 85-year-old? Any problems with cardiac issues, that type of thing? Right now, the VNS system has been used in adults 18 to as long as someone is willing to do surgery on you, you're, you're good to go in terms of age-wise. For depression, we haven't used it on children, but we do know that VNS systems are used on kids who have seizures. So we can assume that the safety profile would be very much the same, but there has never been a research study in VNS with kids for depression. And really the criteria for VNS is like, can you be cleared for surgery? This is a little bit more complicated than traditional psychiatric interventions because you have to think about what other medications is the patient on, what other medical conditions are they on. But to be honest, a lot of times we really rely on our colleagues, surgeons, primary care doctors to help us figure out if these patients would be good candidates for surgery or not. And then the follow-up question, which is always the problematic one, is cost. Are insurance companies paying for it? What's done in terms of follow-up? So cost, of course, is the biggest issue for any new intervention. I'll break it up into like into two ways. If you have commercial insurance, you can get VNS after you failed multiple other interventions. And I'm going to say like at least four, but most insurance companies will ask to have failed more than that. It is a little bit of a complicated process because it's through multiple appeal levels. The good thing is patients who would qualify, neither the patient nor the physician has to really do much. The company that does the VNS systems, Libanova, has a team that can help work through all these. I'm not going to use the word prioritization because it's really not a PA. It's a little bit of a higher level, but it's worked through getting the insurance companies to agree to cover this treatment. If you have Medicare or any Medicare-like product, 
it is just not available for you unless you're paying out of pocket. At present, Livanova has a study called the Recover Study, and they're recruiting people who have bipolar depression for the study. So that would be one way to get it right now. The idea behind the study is not to see if the medicine gets approved. It's been FDA approved since 2005. And sorry, when I said the medicine, I mean BNF. It's really to see if Medicare will agree to cover it moving forward. So the idea of this study is to see if the improvements are robust enough, the cost reduction in general health is robust enough that Medicare decides to cover this. Because, of course, at present, this is the most expensive psychiatric treatment we have. This could be quite all combined, a very costly activity, but necessary if a person's better, then that's, that's our endpoint. The biggest driver of cost here is, of course, you, you have to go into the hospital to have surgery, which it's the reason why BNS is more expensive than TMS, but it's the same reason why ECT is also more expensive than BNS, because you just need a bigger team. It's a little bit of a more complicated procedure requiring more people getting involved, and particularly whenever the hospital gets involved, you know, the price always skyrockets. From my perspective, one of the really nice selling points, so to speak, is that we have a different tool in the toolbox. And we don't very often get different tools that look like they are significant. And this has proven itself to be helpful and will become even more widely used. The recover study, the depression part already closed, but it might be like really two years before we know what Medicare finally decides to do. Yeah, at some point down the line, Medicare decides to cover this. That would be awesome. Because we've seen like a lot of really, really sick people. I don't want to oversell that it's getting like cured, but just significantly better. Significantly better. When insulin was discovered and they started giving it to kids, I have a picture of the University of Toronto Children's Hospital and kids going into a ketoacidosis unit and then for the first time in history actually coming out of the ketoacidosis unit. You look at that picture, it just goes to your heart. So we're on our way. We're on our way step by step. Psychiatry is in a really interesting point right now. Every time I'm looking, there's more, I'm going to say, not only interventional things going on, but there's treatments that are just completely different than what we're used to doing from all these psychoactive substances that are coming out now from, I saw recently studies also with nitric oxide for mental health and just like a lot of different stuff going on. We're not static, my friend. We're not static. Ivan Jikowitz is a psychiatrist in Palm Beach County, very kindly spent some time with us talking about vagal nerve stimulation and where we're going with it. Dr. Jikowitz, thank you so much for your time, sir. Thank you. Thank you, Abby.